0: Coming up on Garden Talk.
1: In the flower tent, I usually have some type of net, some type of netting in my flower tent. So if a plant gets into that tent and it's like really starting to get too big, i kind of bend it over using that netting. My pot sizes when I'm flowering, they vary from like, I guess the three gallon to a five gallon, just depending on the strain that's in there. I feel like I'm that grower that's like borderline. I, I almost break every rule possible or try to come as close to it. You know, If you get a strain that's great at growing in the desert and you bring it to somewhere where it's damp and humid, you probably gonna mess that strain up. Making everything as simple as possible for you because let's face it, at the end of the day, gardening is not your life. It's a part of your life, but you have other stuff to do. You, know? you don't wanna spend your whole time sitting there babysitting, literally watching the grass grow.
0: What's up everybody, if you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk Podcast. This is episode number 14. In this episode, I interview Mr. Sparks a lot. He is a YouTuber with over 3,000 subscribers, and he's been gardening for five years. He grows citrus trees, leafy greens, herbs, and medicinal plants. In this episode, we talk about indoor gardening in small grow tents, or this is really for small spaces in general. Don't forget to hit that thumbs up button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you're listening to this podcast on one of the podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. We're actually up to about 35 ratings on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much to those 35 people who have taken the time to leave a review on there. It really helps out the podcast tremendously. And if you're liking these episodes and want to support the podcast even more, you can do that through Patreon. The link to that is patreon.com slash MrGrowIt. And if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll leave a link down in the description section below. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's get into it. All right, Mr. Sparksalot, welcome to Garden Talk. How you doing today?
1: So far, so good, man, hanging in there, bro. I woke up this morning, so I'm blessed, you know. Like my hat say, blessed.
0: (laughs) Nice. Well, I'm definitely glad that you uh, were able to tune in to the podcast today. Join us today. We've actually been talking for uh, quite a while now. I feel like it's been several years since we kind of first found out about each other online. Uh, You know, you have a YouTube channel. I have a YouTube channel. And I know you tuned into my live streams a couple of times. I tuned into your live streams a couple of times. So here we are finally talking face to face through video chat. So appreciate your time today.
1: Yes, sir the world has bumped us into each other once again
0: (laughs) (laughs) so uh, for those that don't know who you are can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into gardening
1: I'm a small pretty much home closet grower I guess for the most part Um, I pretty much started in Nevada like when we went recreational out here and it was kind of legal for me to grow so to speak I mean it when I first started, it was kind of still in the gray area ish but um after it went wreck or before it went wreck, I got my medical but once it went wreck out here, stuff kind of got a little bit more lenient, so I kind of started growing just to I guess get my feet wet a little bit. but shortly after I started growing, I started reading a little bit more up on different strains, medicinal strains, and um kind of in hopes to find, I guess, an uh, a aid for my mother. Like, she's got some health issues, and at one point in time, she was on around seven or eight different medications, and I started making her, um, like, oil, or I would make her edibles and whatnot, and she would use that and pretty much alleviate her. Or she got rid of the majority of the prescriptions that she was taking, so... It just kind of made me feel good to be able to produce something, you know. You could almost say in your own backyard, I don't have a backyard. It's in my closet in this instance. But, like, you know, when you can grow something kind of on-site or produce something on-site that's not necessarily chemically altered and, you know, I'm not in a science coat with the beakers and everything sitting up messing with nature, so to speak, you know. I don't know. It just makes me feel good. So I've been pretty much in love with it ever since. And here I am now, I guess. I I wish I had more space, you know, one of these days, hopefully I'll get, be able to kind of, I guess, expand or at least upgrade a little bit. But for my space and area, I just kind of make do with what I have, you know, take it from there.
0: Nice, nice. And now you have a YouTube channel. I know you've been doing it since 2016, I believe. You have over 3,000 subscribers. So uh, that's awesome, congrats on that one. I know you do like live streams, you do chill smoke sessions, uh, garden updates. So you get a variety of things on your channel. Um, and for those that are watching this or are tuned in to YouTube in particular, I'll leave a link to his channel down in the description section below. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just go to YouTube and type in Mr. Sparksalot. Uh, it's spelled S-P-A-R-K-Z-A-L-O-T. And then you'll be able to find his channel and, and check out what he has there. So before we get into the nitty gritty on your grow tent setup and growing in small spaces, um, uh, you know, I really want to first address what you have as your primary goals, right? So everybody has their goals before they grow. If you talked to me eight to ten years ago, I would have told you my primary goal was to obtain as high of a yield as possible. That's not everybody's goal, right? I think some people jump to the assumption that everybody's goal is a high yield. That's not really the case for everybody. These days, yeah. I'm focused mostly on simplicity. How do I make things easier in the garden? Uh, and I've also been focusing on efficiency, so reducing that electrical consumption. What would you yeah. say your goals are? What are your primary goals for your garden?
1: When I first started off, I was kind of like you. I think I wanted that. I was just pushing for uh, two things. I think I wanted to save myself some money, you know, as far I wouldn't have to go out and buy that bag as much, you know, so to speak, or That and my main goal is just, I guess, yield, you know, to try to get as much as I could. And um, over the years, I've kind of strayed away from that, for the most part, especially trying to work more with like medicinal strains and trying to kind of zone in on the strain for my mother. It's been more just like quality for me, for the most part. Um, Yield, I mean yield is good, but if you have a pound of something that's like, eh, compared to, you know, a half a pound or a quarter pound of something that's A1 or, you know, top notch. <clears throat> I mean, I guess it's all up to the person at the end of the day, you know. But overall now, my 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 overall, I guess, ex- expectation out of the garden is just like my co- quality for the most part and to make sure everything, you know, kind of just runs smoothly. Um, Fortunately, like I started growing around the LED era. So I I didn't have to go through the HPS and the HID and all these extra other lights that, you know, the old school growers went through kind of with them higher electricity bills. And honestly, I haven't like grown with LEDs for the most part. I really haven't seen like a super jump in my electricity bill in general um but as i said you know i don't run a huge goal either so to speak so you know if if i guess it got to the point to where my electricity was kind of getting out of hand you know i would kind of keep that in mind that hey i need to kind of make this as efficient as possible because Ironically, as the times are going on and you know, as more places legalize, like the cost of stuff is going down a lot. And, you know, in some instances, it almost might be easier for, and I'm not trying to discourage anybody from growing, but if you're paying more in electricity and you know, items for your grow and more to keep up with it than it would cost you to go to a your local produce market or dispensary or whatever you know, it kind of defeats the purpose unless you're doing it with a specific purpose, you know, such as breeding or you just want variety of something that you can't get, you know, where you're at at the moment in time. But I I, I don't know. I I feel like for the most part, I I like to concentrate on the quality of the product, you know, especially working with strains, trying to help ease my mom's Ailments and whatnot, you know. I just want her to have the best. It's like I'm trying to get her the name brand. I don't want to get her the generic that works. I want to get her, (laughs) you know, make the best brand possible for the most part. So,
0: gotcha. And yeah, just to piggyback off of the whole efficiency thing. I mean, if you have a small grow, I mean, that's you're not going to really worry much about it as long as you you're running the appropriate uh, equipment within there. So, kind of to get into your grow setup you know, we'll get into the topic today, which is indoor gardening and a small grow tent or really any small spaces, I guess you could say this can apply to. So let's talk about your current grow setup. I know you grow in a smaller tent. Can you tell me a little bit about your setup? Like what size grow space, lighting, equipment you have in there, so on and so
1: forth? Well, currently I, I have a, a two by two by two. It's like a square or a cube cube for the most part um i use that for my germinating and maybe keeping like starting seeds or keeping cuts around for the most part you know sometimes i have the problem of overgrowing because of my space being so confined like a lot of times especially some of my keepers <clears throat> my mom's strain in particular likes to grow and if i don't keep that thing trimmed it's just like she'll try to grow out of the tent you know and there's not a lot of space in most two by twos to grow multiple plants you know I mean it's it's advised to grow like one to two plants two is kind of pushing it in a two by two like one plant will give you probably the best yield as long as you you know kind of scrub it out or make your canopy nice and even as even as possible you know but My two by two by two is my germination tent, and I'm running just regular, I think it's a four bay, like, it it was a T5 setup, or T3, something like that, but I found some LED bulbs for it, so that's kind of reducing the electricity usage of the light. I really haven't noticed any, I guess, yield difference in that specific tent, but we are talking about a small, like, a small area and, you know, the lights not the I forget how many watts my my little four bay uh, light thing is, but I've had it for the longest. So, um, <clears throat> you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But outside of that, um, in my closet, I have two two by two by I think they're they're not quite six feet because I'm taller than the tents. So they might be like five and a half or five nine, something like that. And I use one for germinating and one for I'm not germinating. <laughs> one for veg, the others for flour. And I just kind of rotate, you know. I I I attempt to keep a perpetual grow going as, as much as I can every once in a while. Something will happen and you know, I might have to restart or <clears throat> whatever, you know. But for the most part, I try to keep that. There's always something in a germination tent. There's always something in beds. There's always something in flower, you know. But my uh, my primary goal is to get it to where like I can harvest once every other month. But I just it's like I have the schedule and I know what to do. It just never works out for me because it's kind of dependent on the strains it's themselves and how far along the cuts are and everything. And it's it's. It's kind of weird, but like I said, I keep something in each one of those. And as far as lighting goes, I've been approached by a few different lighting companies to, you know, review lights and this and that. And I think in the veg tent right now, I'm running the Mars, I want to say TS-600 or something of that nature. And then in my flower tent, and I got the Viper Spectre, so... They're probably, if they see this, they're probably going to be mad. He can't tell the name of our light. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I don't have it written down right now, but I do have videos for them on my channel. So, you know, anytime I get a new light or something, I'll do a unboxing or a review. And if I have a promo code or anything like that, you know, I'll put it all in the description of my video. So I think both of my flower lights are considered 1,000 watt LEDs or whatever. So they're not the highest end, you know but they're not like the lowest end. So my yields are fairly decent, but then again, I'm not, I'm not really trying to push that pound of plant envelope. You know, I'm more, like I said earlier, I want that, the quality. I just want to
0: clarify that when you say a thousand watts, you're talking about the equivalent yeah. of a thousand watt HPS. So really it's around a hundred watts is true wattage for some of these, yeah. lights. some of these Chinese manufacturers, they'll say a thousand watt uh, in the title but it actually be a thousand one equivalent. So there's a lot of controversy behind all that. So yeah, there is, (laughs) but as far as, you know, in a two foot by two foot grow tent, when you're flowering in there, you mentioned that one plant, sometimes two plants, you think sometimes two plants is pushing it. Now, when you have two plants in there, what size grow pot do you typically use? And what type do you use a plastic fabric?
1: Idealistically, I would like to keep one plant in my flower tent, but I can't, like, just because of the fact that I like varieties. And it's a must that I keep at least one of my mom's plants in flower pretty much at all times. So I can kind of keep up with her, you know, the, I don't want to call it medicine, but her herbal supplement, so to speak, you know. And um, then I push the envelope of my two by twos, like, I, depending on, pot size a lot of times, I put anywhere from one to maybe four plants in my two by two, and I can fit four or five gallon pots, You know, one in each corner. If it's, is it the best decision? I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not telling you to do this at home kids. This is just something that works for me, you know, and I know that it could be better if I put that one plant in there, you know, my yield might be a little bit better. But to me, it's just, like I said, I'm a stickler for variety. I want to have some flavors. You know, I kind of get tired of using the same thing over and over again. I don't know if they call it burnt out or whatever. I just, I don't know. I like a little bit of, variety you know that's one of the reasons you go to the beer aisle and it's a million beers right there like if we all just wanted one type of beer in the world then there would just be one beer but there's not there's a variety and I like variety so I like to keep a couple different plants in there but my pot sizes when I'm flowering they vary from like I guess the three gallon to a five gallon just depending on the strain that's in there. Some of my strains, my mom's strains, the heavier feeder, so I usually keep that in a five gallon. And you know, some of the other strains that I know aren't as heavy feeders. I might get away with putting a three gallon in there. And I've had it a time three, five gallons and then two, three gallons in in my plant in my tent. So it's like I'm a bad landlord that just likes to pack. I need as many tenants in my garden as I can get, you know,
0: do you do uh plastic pots or uh, fabric pots, air pots, and then are you in soil or cocoa or, or what?
1: Been in soil pretty much since I started. Um, I've tried cocoa running cocoa straight. I've tried running, you know, like different mixtures. I ran organic. Like I made a, uh, a super soil probably about two years ago. I, I, um, I forget the name of the book, but I think his name is The Rev or something like that. Um, yeah, True Living
0: Organics by The Rev.
1: Yeah, yep. I, I picked that book up a while back and made one of the super soils or whatever you want to call it from in there. And In all honesty, I just watered that specific girl, and that was probably some of the best quality that I've ever had. And... The batch of soil that I made, like it kind of cost me a little pretty penny to get that batch together. So at the time, you know, I had a lot of synthetic nutrients. You know, I've had a couple people, every time I go to the, the, the hydro store out here, you know, they're always pounding stuff off on you. Here, try this or this, you know, giving you samples. And I know I've ran general hydro, I've ran sweet leafs products for like I think those are supposed to be on the organic. They're not 100% organic, but it's kind of an organic-based synthetic nutrient line, if there is such a thing. I mean, there are people that will kind of argue up and down with that nature. But I pretty much tried it all, you know, just to kind of get the experience with different nutrients and different mediums and in, in general. Um, I've always kind of tried to want to go do a hydro grow but unfortunately i'm in an apartment on the second floor and i'm super paranoid about leaks and stuff going downstairs like if i was downstairs it'd probably be different but i don't want to go through all that so until i you know either move into a single level area where i could kind of try that out you know it's just been pretty much cocoa or some type of fox farm soil or local soil from the Home Depot or whatever, whatever I can kind of get my hands on. And after a while I tried to, well not try to, I try to recycle as much as my soil as, as I can as well. Like I try to clean out, you know, any root matter or whatever. And um, when I first started doing it, I wasn't flushing it, so to speak. So there was a lot of buildup in my soil from like, you know, past grows or whatever. And I learned the hard way, you know, I ate up some plants just burnt you know burnt them by overfeeding them because i was feeding them on top of whatever was in the soil so you know i learned a lot of just different do's and don'ts over the years because it doesn't matter how many books you read at the end of the day on the subject matter until you get your hands in that dirt or, or that water or on the plants itself like there's nothing like the actual experience itself so um But you mentioned pots too. Like I've I've had fabric pots, I've ran, I guess like netted pots, um, plastic pots, air, I think they're air pots. It's pretty much just been trial and error with me. I like, I guess if I had my choice, I love fabric pots, but cleaning those things, you know, especially if you're not, if you don't catch those like right before they start to kind of grow, they're not supposed to grow through the pot, so to speak. You know, they're supposed to kind of air prune roots wise, but they don't always happen sometimes. You know, I've had those pots kind of when I um, feed from the bottom or just water like my catch tray and let the fabric pot soak up the water. There's been instances where I've had a little bit too much water in the tray or let, you know, a little bit of water sit in the bottom and like the roots will start kind of growing through the pot, like throughout the tray into the water or whatever. So it does help with air pruning a little bit, but it doesn't like alleviate the problem, you know, and getting that plant out of there was like a pain in the butt because I ended up kind of pruning the roots myself, pulling it away from the pot or whatever, you know, but I've tried to use it all, man. (laughs) If it's out there, I want to use it, see it, you know, try it, whether I stick with it or not, that's a whole other thing. But, you know, at least I can say, yeah, I've, I've tried that product or I've tried that method. I've attempted that. You know, I've tried the like the plastic bags from the Mm, yep. That's another option. They're okay, but I've I've always had to put like more holes in them because once you fill them and they sit right, it's like the there's not the drainage isn't proper. So I don't know if they thought about that. I mean, I'm sure somebody has, but I don't know. Maybe I should come out with my own grow bags with enough holes in them.
0: There you go.
1: to drain properly. Like, I don't know.
0: Innovation for sure. So uh, when you're growing in these small spaces, right? These small or um, grow tents, are you mostly growing auto flowers or
1: photo period? I think I've grown one auto flower in the six or whatever, five, six years that I've been growing. Um, I wasn't too pleased with the yield in general. And to me, I like the photo period. There's something about that hunt, like, you know, popping seeds, growing the plant for a little while, trying to figure out, hey, is this a boy, is this a girl? You know, like playing the guessing game. It's kind of like being pregnant, so to speak, you know, not knowing if it's, it a boy, is it a girl? Like, (laughs) you know, and then that kind of moment of truth after you flower, you know, start to flower the plant out to see, or, or sex the plant, so to speak you know, and that moment of truth, when you actually see it's like getting your ultrasound, what's a boy or it's a girl, you know, you you see those those female hairs or the the male sacks coming off the plant, you know, it's, I don't know, there's just something about that that has a little bit more allure to me than just, yeah, this is gonna be a female, it's gonna be this strain and, you know, that's that, but that's not to say that I won't ever grow them again. I just, I'm I'm having too much fun along my journey right now with, I guess, photo period, you know, plants to even get to that point. And along my journey, I've made a couple, I think I've made like 10 crosses. I haven't stabilized anything. You know, I'm not a quote unquote breeder as much as I aspire to be one. Like it takes time to kind of get there, you know. But I've had people ask me about, some of the crosses that i made like you ever think about feminizing those or making autos and i'm not at that point yeah i get what you
0: mean you know 10 15 years ago these auto flowers the genetics they stayed pretty small so some may may say hey that's good for small spaces Uh, these days i mean i've had some autos that blew up like crazy like four feet five feet easily so yeah. Um, I hear a lot of people saying that auto flowers are good for small spaces. I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that photo period. You get that uh, control to where you can keep it small via training, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And then you're able to change that light cycle and flip to flower to force flowering Uh, versus the autoflower could blow up in the first 30 days. And all of a sudden you've got height issues and you've got another three weeks of stretch on top of that. So it could (laughs) be, it could get out of hand pretty crazy, but um, it comes down to a preference thing. I feel like Uh, But going into transplanting, I want to talk about that. You mentioned you're in three to five gallon containers typically, right? Is your final container. I've seen your videos. You typically start out, correct me if I'm wrong, you typically will start out in a smaller, like solo cup, for example, and then I believe you transplant up. Do you go directly into that three or five gallon container or are you going to a one gallon container and then your final container? Uh, And then when do you typically do that transplanting?
1: Well, for the most part, if if it's a seed, then I'm not going to be sure of the six of the plant. I usually go to like a one gallon or I've been known to go to like a half gallon, just depending on what I start out at. I've started out seeds like in like a clone tray for the most part. Like I filled the clone tray up with, or I guess they might be propagation trays. I don't know what they're called. I'd fill those up with, you know, soil or some type of median and just put seeds in there and then kind of, with that being so small, I can go into a solo cup after that and then maybe like a half gallon and then a one gallon or whatever. If it's a a clone of something and I know it's a female or whatever, I sometimes I'll go from once it gets rooted into the biggest pot, you know, or sometimes I'll go to that one. It really just depends on the space in my garden, like the space and what's moving around where it really depicts on, depicts what I kind of put stuff in, you know, for the most part, because I used to keep like a five gallon pot in my veg tent is a mother plant from my mom's strain and I ended up <clears throat> like cloning the mess out of that plant because she was getting like way too big for the tent and I ended up dropping that down to two and a half gallon but now it's like I have to almost clone her twice as often because ironically enough it's like I almost feel like she's growing faster now in a smaller area and she's a lot more like susceptible to stuff going wrong like her drying out or being over or under nutrient being over or underfed so that 5 gallon pot to me is like the sweet spot but it affects my space in there so it really just depends on the strains that i'm running and you know the amount of space that i have in there kind of i told you I'm that mean landlord i'm trying to stick everybody in there like sardines and I know it affects my grow, especially with some of the, I guess, circulation, you know, sometimes a lot, sometimes I'll get that overlap where your leaves are, you know, this plant might be kind of overlapping the plant next to it. And as much as I don't want it to affect that grow, like your plants need as much energy as they can from that light. With me running LEDs, you know, it's, I'm just kind of pushing it. I kind of like to push the envelope a little bit more, but. I know that, like I said, if I put one pan in there, I can get a bigger yield off of it, but I just try to keep as much in there as I can <laughs> so I can get, you know, just kind of keep all my bases covered. But I think I went, I ran a seven gallon fabric pot one time, I think in my tent, or it wasn't something here, it was a, a, a tent I was doing offsite for one of my partners, and I really didn't see any difference yield wise or like size wise from running the same plant in a five gallon. But I, mean, I really didn't do a scientific, I didn't measure both yields and, you know, what was being fed and the lighting, there was two different lights. So it's possible that the bigger median area gave off a bigger yield, you know, but I don't know. I really don't see a big difference between the yield and, like, I guess when I did that five-gallon and the seven-gallon. But I notice when I do, when I flower out in, like, either two-and-a-half or three-gallon or a five-gallon, like, there's a big difference in yield there, you know. So, like I said, I just, I I want to try it all. (laughs) But I think that's my sweet spot for the most part is like flour, I like to keep something, you know, a flour out in a five gallon. Um, veg is anywhere from a half gallon to maybe a two and a half gallon pot. And then in germination, you know, I've, I think I have like some little pint size pots that like you get when you go to Home Depot and buy your little starter seedlings or whatever. I got a bunch of those off for show that I did a long time ago that some folks were getting rid of. So I kind of left up on that, but I'm almost like you whatever's around because I've had, you know, I've tried so much of everything. It's sometimes I look in my tent, and there's a fabric pot, a, a five gallon Home Depot's, you know, paint bucket that I put holes in and a couple plastic bags and this and that. And it's like, man, you have the, just the throw to garden over here, but it works, you know, and, At the end of the day, I think that's all you can do is do what works best for you, you know.
0: So going back to plant training, you know, when you're in small spaces, you have height restrictions, you have uh, space restrictions just in general. What do you typically do for plant training in order to keep those plants, you know, small within that growth space?
1: Usually in the germination states, I really don't do too much to them. I mean, as they're seedlings or small cuttings, I... I really don't do too much to them. Um, sometimes if it was, if I do have a seedling, to me, I feel it's growing a little bit too fast, I might like crop it or super crop it, whatever. Cut the top nodes off once it gets past like it's fifth set of leaves or whatever. And um, I'll let it sit maybe in the germination tent for probably about another week before I put it in the, the veg tent. And in the veg tent, I mean, I've used anything from um what they call it garden tape like the green garden tape and kind of you know loosely taped around limbs and kind of bent them down and taped it to the pot you know if if I'm using a plastic pot in that instance um I've used string and in the past to kind of tie you know branches down to kind of slow them from growing as high as fast and promoting I guess a bushier canopy as well in the flower tent, I usually have some type of net, some type of netting in my flower tent. So if I need, if a plant gets into that tent and is like really starting to get too big, I will kind of bend it over using that netting. Um, I also use the netting for kind of spacing and trying to just get my, I guess, get every piece of the plant just kind of spread out so it gets that as even as amount of lighting as possible. A lot of times, like when you grow from seed, you have that uniform kind of Christmas tree structure with the plant. And assuming you don't top it or anything like that, you know, if you do top it and and kind of train it a little bit more, I guess you can spread that canopy out. But sometimes from seed, I like to just let it grow like that first run. I just let it grow to see, I guess some of the plants structure in general, you know the the node spacing and, and how I guess fast it grows. And in that case, the the net really comes in handy because I can kind of spread. I guess the the branches and the arms of the your plant out. But when you you know do other training methods as far as I guess super cropping and low stress training and whatnot, it just the netting in there in my flower tent it helps I guess keep everything at bay as well as keep your your canopy even, you know. And with some of the strains, <clears throat> I grew a lemon tree strain out not too long ago and it was like super spindly almost. It wasn't a very, I guess, bulky type of strain. It was kind of dainty on the dainty side. I don't know if it was just that specific um, cut or whatever, but in that case, it's almost like I needed the uh, the netting to kind of hold the plant up once it got so big. Because the branches were like smaller than my pinky, just small branches, super thin, almost wispy. Like it was crazy. The, the flower was decent, but it, the plant structure and everything to me, it just wasn't something that I would keep, you know, in, in my garden for the most part. Especially if I was to try to take it outside, I think that thing would probably <laughs> fly away. It looked like a tumbleweed, you know crossing the road or something out here. I
0: hear you. And what you said about the um, topping and then low stress training from there, that's what I typically do now, especially when I'm trying to stay in a smaller area. Um, I've tried so many different training methods over the years, just about everything, you know, topping, fimming, super cropping, so on and so forth. But, you know, when I'm trying to keep it small in small spaces, I will do that topping. Typically I'll let it grow up to like the fifth node, the third node, fourth node, fifth node. Then I'll top the plant, sometimes depending on growth, if it has real long inner nodes, I'll take it from the fifth node, top it down to the third node. You know what I mean? So I will remove some of that growth. Then from there, I'll allow it to grow and I'll bend down those branches, to uh, make sure keep it small even canopy like you mentioned Um, I like how you mentioned the netting in there as well that definitely would help uh, in a small space you know bending those branches down in the netting and then super cropping what I personally like to do is even when using the netting sometimes some shoots will grow up taller than others so I'll super crop in and that's usually when I'm in that um that stretch period, right? So I flipped a flower. Now things are growing up in the netting, some growing more than the others. So within the first like two weeks or so, three weeks or so, I'll do some super cropping. That's typically what I'll do in smaller spaces in order to try to, you know, keep things small. All right, let's get into uh, nutrients. Let's get into water. What do you typically use for base nutrients? And then what type of water do you use? Do you use filtered water, tap water, well water, distilled water?
1: That's another thing I I I could say I've almost tried it all. Um I started out with tap water from my sink, like before I as a novice, I mean a complete novice from back in the day, um, I was just running tap water. You know, I was one of those guys, oh, you just need to water it, you know. (laughs) And then I had to sit down and kind of learn. This trade, you know, via YouTube and books and other social media platforms and a couple friends or whatnot, but a lot of it was was trial and error, just getting kind of doing it, you know, getting your hands in that dirt, so to speak. And um well, from tap water, uh, I bought a pH pen and a TDS meter or whatever, and I think the first time. I took the readings on like my local tap water or whatever. Um, I wanna say my tap water came out at like 420, 410 parts per million or something like that. I couldn't tell you what the pH was on it, you know, at the time or whatever. But once I figured that out, I went and I got the Amazon, I bought a, a RO filter off Amazon and I was running that for a while, you know, so I could get that zero parts per million neutral water in order to add my synthetic ingredients. Because when I first started off, I was overfeed. I was overfeeding my plants and I didn't know it. Like when I started, I was using general hydro and they have like a feeding chart that you can download offline. It might be on some of their products as well, but I, I ended up downloading it offline and being new, I kind of wanted to get the best, you know, I wanted the best so to speak and the guy the, at the hydroponic store you know saw my young guppy fish and reeled me in and i ended up buying like the advanced nutrients products which is like and chart like in the top of each week it gives you like a ppm number of once you mix the ingredient the nutrients like your ppm should be around whatever level like 800 or 400 or whatever and when I was starting off with 420 tap water and then adding however, you know, many parts per million, depending on what week it was, like I would always be at least at 420 parts per million over. So I was way over feeding my plants in the beginning, you know. And then I got the RO filter. But after using that for probably, I don't know, I want to say I used that about a year. And then one of my buddies pointed out to me, he was like, Man, you ever you know, notice how much water that thing wastes. And I didn't, and I was, I ended up hooking the runoff, you know, of the RO filter. Well, I didn't hook it up into anything. There's a hose that comes off, but I ended up draining that into like a, uh, a container. And I kept like measuring that out to every gallon of water that I had. If I'm not mistaken, my RO filter was wasting It was either three or four gallons of water in order for me to get one gallon of, you know, zero water or neutral water for the matter. And to me, it's like when you're paying for four gallons or three gallons for that matter to get one gallon of, you know, purified water, I just I kind of stopped using that. Then I went into buying like purified water from local places, you know, going to fill up a five-gallon uh jug here and there or whenever I needed water. And then after that I just kind of I started using tap water again, but instead of doing a full feeding or whatever nutrients that I'm using, I usually like cut that in either a half or like a quarter. And that kind of offsets that whatever parts per million or what's in my water. The negative about that though, is <clears throat> at any given moment, you know, in our, your city tap water, there could be whatever nutrients, you know, they, they try to keep it at a parts per million at a very low, I guess, rate, but you never know what's in your water. Is there iron from the pipes in there? Is there more copper or zinc or whatever's in the water? And I always try to let it sit for a couple of days so any chlorine and I guess chloramine or whatever will kind of evaporate off of there before I use it. And I've been having fairly decent luck doing it that way, you know, but I'd like to go back to doing the RO water if I could find a better RO filter. But even at the end of the day, I mean, I think I've looked on Amazon and they've got up to like the one-to-one ratios, but there's something about wasting a gallon of water to get a good gallon of water. To me, at the end of the day, it just doesn't seem right, you know. Yeah, three
0: gallons to one gallon. Uh, one gallon to three gallons is about right for the RL water now. Uh, yeah. I'm on the same boat as you as far as the waste. I actually had a podcast with, with somebody else, uh, Doggo the Hut. Not sure if you know who he is, but uh, he had mentions that he takes his um, the drain line and he'll actually use it. On his outdoor plants so he's not wasting yeah. that uh additional water which i thought was pretty cool and that's something i'm yeah. transitioning on to but uh yeah as far as you don't know what's in your water um the chloramine letting it's uh sorry chlorine letting it sit out for 24 hours so it dissipates chlorine yeah. will chloramine won't um, now, luckily we live in Las Vegas. We don't have chloramine in our local water, um, yeah. but there are some places that do. So for anybody watching that, you might want to check your local, local water report, see if you have chlorine or chloramine cause you would take um, different routes for that. I believe you can just filter out the chloramine if you had chloramine instead of chlorine. Um, yeah. All right, let's move on to temperature <clears throat> and humidity. What do you typically run for temperature and humidity in your small growth spaces?
1: See, this is another one of those questions that a lot of people are gonna probably be. I feel like I'm that grower that's like borderline. I I almost break every rule possible or try to come as close to it. You know, I, I know the ideal humidity is what is it, or the ideal temperature is in between eighty, what, eighty six and something. I'm in Vegas, it's hot as hell. I like I said, I have the two by two tents, I have two of those and I pretty much let my tent do what it does. I I have my air conditioning on my house at 78. So it kind of goes off the ambient temperature of that I also run my LEDs. So it usually doesn't get over maybe 90 in my tent, which is it's high. It's pushing it in the summertime. I've seen it go over that. But I'll usually just kick the air down a little bit more and it'll kind of keep those temperatures down. Um the LEDs work a lot. It does not alleviate all your heat, but it does work a lot. You know, like I said, I didn't really come up in that light bulb grow generation, so to speak. I didn't have to do the HIDs or the ballast or all that extra stuff, you know, that I guess are a little a lot, you know. I know they busted gorilla grows for temperature readings because of the lights being so hot back in the day, not to say that they couldn't do it maybe with these LEDs, but I think you'd have to have a lot more or something like that, you know? So I just kind of let my tents just, you know, humidity wise, whatever it is in there, I think it's the watering and the feeding days are, I guess the days that is it is, it's as humid as it's going to get in my tents, you know, for the most part. And, my thermometer for the moment uh, it always reads like low humidity, you know, and I have a humidifier in the box sitting in my closet. I bought it one day. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to fix my humidity issue. Then I got home and I'm looking at both my tents and I'm like one humido- humidifier, two tents. Like I was trying to think of a way I could like rig something up to it and port it to both tents and then i'm like you know what no maybe i'll go buy another one and put it in there but like i said in a two by two by the time you put a humidifier in there unless it's like mounted hanging up something which i'm not even going to try to do like it's beneficial yes you know to keep that humidity at the the ideal temperature but or the ideal rating but I just wing it, man. Whatever it is, you know, I keep my thermostat in my house on 78 year round, you know, summertime, wintertime, whatever, it's always 78 in here. So I've been lucky enough that I guess my ambient temperature kind of keeps my tent temperatures at bay. But I do know that, you know, it could be a lot better if it was a little bit more controlled. But I just, it's, to me, it's not that big of an issue, you know, I, I could, I would probably see a better outcome at the end of the day if my plants weren't idealistic temperatures but I mean, let's face it, this plant grows from California to Kuzbekistan or whatever way on the other side of the planet, you know, so if you get the right strain in your garden, you don't have to worry about temperatures <laughs> and all that other stuff, you know, if you get a picky strain, or, you know, if, if you get a strain, it's great at growing in the desert and you bring it to somewhere where it's damp and humid, you probably going to mess that strain up. But, you know, due to the genetics. So that's something else that I kind of incorporate into my crosses and everything is, is our temperature out here, you know, and in the past, I've made kind of testers and sent them out. And, hey, let me know how they do in your neck of the woods, so to speak, because I want to know in different environments, you know, how something that I'm growing out here may vary, you know. So I just try to keep it as cool as I can in there. You know, I on each of my tents, like the flap down part that covers, I guess your zippers or whatnot at the top, like I wrote the idealistic temperatures. What is it? It's 86
0: to... From everything I've read, 82 degrees leaf surface temperature is said to be ideal. Now, if your canopy temperature is a little bit higher than that, your leaf surface temperature might be a little bit lower than that. So, um, some people will run up to 85. I've heard people running up to 87. I've tried 87 in the past. Um, but I've seen, you know, heat stress issues on my plants. So I've lowered it down, but I usually aim for about 80 to 82 leaf surface temperature. Um, Now that, like you've said before, the plant is going to grow outside of the ideal ranges for sure. Absolutely. The plant is very resilient you could see problems and you might not see optimal growth, but the plant will still grow for sure. Same thing with humidity, right? I, we live in the same area we struggle with. I think at the natural humidity level is about 20%. That's crazy, crazy. So having that humidifier in there, I have three humidifiers. I have, uh, I have one in my lung room which I was going to recommend to you is just having like the room that your grow tents are in, maybe just control that at the ideal humidity. So that way, when you're exhausting out, you're bringing in that ideal humidity level that might work because yeah. you're stuck with space constraints, not being well, able to yeah. put that humidifier in those small grow tents. But um, typically for humidity, I'll grow, I'll have like a higher humidity when the plant is uh, you know, in the seedling stage, vegetation stage, 65 to 85 maybe when it's super young then I'll slowly reduce it and then flowering you know 40 50 40 to 60 percent is a general range now that kind of goes against vpd that's the optimal range is vpd um but yeah again it, the plant is going to grow outside of those ideal ranges for sure
1: yeah it's it's kind of funny i idealistically i would like to have all my tents in one room but just I'm in a two bedroom kind of like roommate style apartment and everything is cramped in my room and it's temperature wise you can tell like the difference between a living room and my room it's like it's almost like walking out into the sun from the shade but it's not that drastic of a you know of a change it's like you know if it's 90 degrees outside and you're under some shade it doesn't feel Like ninety. It might feel like that eighty-five or you know, lower eighty or whatever. But if you're in the sun, yeah, it's gonna feel like that ninety, you know. And my room is it's always kinda pushing that temperature, that high temperature of the house because of the fact that the tents are in here, the lights are on, you know, and I try to keep the majority of the stuff running at night just to kind of keep it cooler in here and just I guess uh kind of find a median zone for my temperature in general because if you know if I ran these lights in the daytime oh my gosh it'd probably be ridiculously I my power bill would probably jump up a lot more due just to the my electricity as far as my air conditioning consuming a lot more to keep it cooler in here but anybody that's been in my room ever they're always like why is it so hot in here I'm like you know in the first place We live in a desert. So it's not hot in here. You think it's hot? Go outside. (laughs) I aim to get into everything in the one room sooner or later. If I if I can get a three bedroom. But yeah, I like I like to get a house. And you know, I got grow stuff all throughout my apartment kind of scattered. You know, there's old stuff in a bin over here. And, you know, my my master bathroom kind of has the majority of my nutrients and some spare pots and whatever. I would love to get everything in one room and just kind of concentrate on that one specific area. And you should see me sometimes, I'm transplanting, I gotta go in this room to get a pot and over here to get, you know, some great white or some type of root and inoculant or something, you know, and it's just like, man, if everything was in one spot, I wouldn't have to do all this, but that's my goal sooner or later is just to get everything in one spot. Either that or my child's going to have to hurry up and turn 18 so I can kick her out and take her. (laughs) room. Give me your room. No, I'm just playing. I'm not kicking her out. She's probably going to be the one to take care of my old self when I turn however old and can't do it no more. I can see it now.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it would definitely be easier to have everything all in one area. So, All right. So that being said, you know, we went over a decent amount of stuff in this video, everything you can think about in regards to growing in small spaces. What advice would you have for somebody who's new to growing in small spaces?
1: Research. Do you research, do you research, do you research. You know, unless you're daddy warbucks and you got money to blow, wasting on trying to do everything, you know. Gardening in general can be the most simplistic, thing in the world or it can be the most complicated it's just kind of what you make out of it um you know you you got some guys out there that is. i I know you mentioned you're, you're trying to get down to simplicity and efficiency and you know making everything as simple as possible for you because let's face it at the end of the day gardening is not your life it's a part of your life but you have other stuff to do you know you don't want to spend your whole time sitting there babysitting literally watching the grass grow you know so just do as much research as you can Um, figure out what style if any that you kind of want to hone in on because there is a lot of growth styles out there you know and some style might be better for you and your environment or your atmosphere So just do some research. I mean, YouTube is, as long as you have internet, I mean, that's YouTube helped me out a lot. People like Mr. Grow It and, oh my gosh, I'm having brain farts right now. Everybody that I learned from is probably like this guy. (laughs) There's a large community on YouTube. I've kind of started seeking out a little bit more knowledge as far as the gardening community in general, because last year I bought a two by four by like five and a half tenth and I started indoor gardening so I'm trying to alleviate like some of the fruits and vegetables or at least the vegetables that I buy the tomatoes and lettuce and I'm always at the store getting because their shelf life isn't all that you know long for the most part so if I can take that eliminate that cost and grow it myself here you know I could always have stuff for salads and herbs and spices or whatnot around and that's kind of let me branch out my gardening. If you can grow your own fruits and vegetables or a little bit of sustenance for yourself, that's one less thing you got to worry about, you know, if the, if the S ever hits the fan at the end of the day. So
0: I think that's really good advice for sure. Okay, so wrapping things up, how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future?
1: I'm on just about every social platform, some more than others. Um, YouTube probably has the biggest collection of my work i guess videos so to speak um instagram you know i have i guess of course photos on there short videos um facebook i'm on just about anything if you google my name Mister Sparks a lot all lowercase um either with the at sign or without it i'm pretty sure it'll pull up just about anything that i'm on social media wise like i said i have an account for just about everything twitter and snapchat and this and that and i can't keep up with them i'm getting old bro. <laughs> you know but just at mr sparks a lot um i also have a website i believe it's www.irecreations.com that's i-r-i-e creations c-r-e-a-t-i-o-n-z instead of a s.com um that will pull up some of the things that I kind of offer, some of my merchandise, Mr. Sparks about gear whatever. And um, yeah, just about, just Google me.
0: Well, Mr. Sparks, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. I really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, for those watching again, I'll link his um, channel down in the description section below for those of you watching on YouTube. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for tuning into this episode of garden talk. I hope you enjoyed it. Please leave a rating and review if you haven't done so already, and feel free to share this podcast with others. Those things really help the podcast reach more listeners, so thank you to everyone who takes the time to do that. And I will leave it at that. Until next time, peace.